if you think about it, customer lifetime value has always like if if you go back and you read Rucker, right? He yeah. talks about the, the the whole purpose of a company is to create is to, yeah. is to create a customer and then customer. that customer. Um, yeah. This is there's nothing new, right? This is not revolutionary. This is how you yeah. build a business. Um, and so I'm less optimistic about it because of human nature, right? In other words, humans like easy and fast way better than hard and slow. Even if hard and slow is more profitable in the long term, they're short-term thinkers, right? Um, you know, we had been saying, we had a big argument in 2003, okay, 20 years ago, okay, yeah. about the idea that just buying more traffic was like using drugs, right? You kept needing more and more and more <laughs> and more, and people kept pumping. And the thing is, you could continue to profitably acquire clients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the CVO Live. It's my pleasure and honor to have uh, with us today Jeffrey Eisenberg. He's the CEO of BioLegends.com. He's uh, teaching business people how to create customer-centered and data-driven customer experiences. And uh, he's also one of the main authorities and pioneers in internet marketing strategy. And uh, Jeffrey, I guess uh, that's it uh, for, from my end. Hello and welcome to the show. Well, hello and uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So the, the first question that I will have for you today, Jeffrey, is uh, tell, tell us a bit about uh, how was it at, at the beginning? You are in the, in the optimization space for years now. You've been seeing, I don't know, you've been seeing Facebook ads, uh, Coming after uh, after a while, you've been seeing all these uh, waves of new new coming uh, things. How far back do you want me to go? I don't know. Tell us. Okay. Uh, tell us I, something. I don't go quite as far back as my partner, my brother Brian, who was even on BBSs and you know back in the in the nineties. You know, was was on the internet, whatever that actually was. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, let's see, it was 98 when we first started working on it, right? So that's close to 25 years, 24 years right now. Yeah. Um, nobody knew anything about conversion rate optimization because nobody cared. Right. And, and I mean that it, it, during the yeah. first, so we became active during the first dot com boom. Okay. Yeah. And anybody could do anything. If you could write HTML, okay, if you actually could write HTML, you were worth millions of dollars. Okay, it was just this crazy thing. Um, we kept saying, doesn't anybody need to make a sale? Doesn't anybody need to do something? And it turned out that, you know, there were the crazy people and the VCs that had lots of money to give them, but there were people who had to make sales. And so we found some of those people and we started helping them. Um, but it was easy. I mean, seriously, in 1999, 
I could say to you, I can increase your conversion by 30%. I could, I could not only guarantee it. Okay. Um, you know, it was, it was like the sun's going to come out tomorrow because 30%, you know, sometimes I just needed to actually give you an add to cart button. Maybe you didn't even have one. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, I'm not kidding. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So, so it was very, very, very easy at the beginning for somebody who um, had been focused on sales and marketing for a while to really look at things and say, um, really, we don't know what to do here. Right. But, you know, it was a very simple question. It's like, okay, what do I do next? Right. That was literally our first question. What do I do next? Um, we also knew nobody in the industry. So it's very interesting, you know, today, lots of people know us, and like you said, pioneer, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, lots of words. Um, but people do know us, right? But nobody knew us, right? There was all these experts. Most of those experts don't exist anymore, okay? Um, but they were so smart, and they knew so much, and they could tell you that eyeballs were going to be more important than dollars. Um, and... Um, they, you know, they turned out to be wrong, um, but in the meantime, they made they made all that money. We helped little companies. Big companies didn't want to do anything with us. We started, um, we were in forums. Forums used to be a thing. Um, mm -hmm. We had lists, okay, where we would participate in these lists. Um, and we got we started to, to write a newsletter. It used to be called grok.com. Um, uh, because we grokked.com, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and, 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 and again, it was kind of interesting um, that, um, you know, I, I remember in the year, nine, right before the year 2000, end of 1999, was the first time when we, when we put out the newsletter that we got all excited because somebody whose name we didn't recognize had put their email into our subscription. Right? <laughs> so, um, you, you didn't really want me to go that far back, did you? Um, but but it, was, it was like that, right? It's conversion. Nobody cared. Conversion wasn't even a thing. Um, search yeah. engine optimization wasn't a thing, really. I mean, there were people doing it, but it was about search engines that today are very, you know, very primitive, right? Google yeah. or whatnot. We actually started becoming um, more well known because we got involved which, with the search engine optimization people. We started writing for a publication called Quickzy. I think it still exists. I have no idea. Um, and um, when we started writing for them, they invited us to speak at, one of, at a conference, right? You start speaking at conferences, and they were search engine optimization conferences. And they said, What do you do? Because at that point, what we were saying was that we were like digital salespeople, right? Don't think of us as the marketers. Marketers bring traffic. Mm -hmm. Sell the traffic. Okay? Um, it was a bad metaphor back then, right? Because yeah. People didn't like sales. The internet was going to change everything. There's going to be no more sales. Whatever. Jeffrey, I have a question regarding the term uh, CRO and conversion rate optimization. How you've seen that uh, right, so, so emerging? I'm, I'm about to tell it to you. I'm yeah. about to tell it to you. So there was such a thing as search engine optimization. Okay? 
And when they were asking us what we did, Brian responded, not with a well-thought-out thing, just because it had to be, so you had to say something. He said, well, we do conversion rate optimization, okay? Which, from the day we said it, we knew was a bad word. Okay? <laughs> it was a very bad idea, but it really um, helped define what we did. People started to understand it as conversion rate optimization. They were talking about it as conversion rate optimizers. And, you know, we knew from the start that you don't optimize an output, right? You optimize the inputs. So, you, you know, in the same way that we already knew that search engine optimization was a bad idea, you're not optimizing for the search engine, you're optimizing for the people who read the search yeah. engine. That's still a surprising thing to some search engine people, um, right? But... yeah. Even though we knew it, that's that's how it started. So seriously, I think that was about 2001, where we started calling it conversion rate optimization, and it stuck. You know, people accepted it. Um, there was nobody else doing it, so there's nobody to argue with us, right? There was a um, <laughs> uh, there was a guy in Finland um, who was who, who was starting to do it. There were some people who talked about it. Um, there were a couple of people who would mention the importance of it back then it was you know Amy Africa um, a couple of people like that but basically it was very 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 early so yeah in terms of the optimization for 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 conversions it's it's clear that uh, things were at, uh, uh, emerging quite uh, quite slow i might say i mean it uh, it took it took you years to to coin the term with uh, with brian actually and yes. uh, then it took you years to 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 educate the market and i, I i'm curious about how you've uh, how you've developed the, the the company afterwards i mean 2001 to 2000 and whatever i mean the first uh, ab testing tools were born way way after that way the first testing tools were Optimost. Oh, Optimost. Optimost yeah. was the first one. Um, we were teaching a, a course for, um, uh, I think it was the American Marketing Association, maybe. I think it was American mm -hmm. He came to see us at that course where we were teaching it. Um, he wanted to talk to us. And um, we found it kind of interesting. But we dismissed it, and, and, and I'll tell you why we dismissed it. One was because it was still a fairly difficult thing to do, right? Um, even though there was a tool, we had two types of clients. The clients that didn't have enough traffic to test, mm -hmm. and the clients who would not allow somebody else's tool on their website, right? And yeah. so it took a few years for Optimos to get out there in the market, um, and so... He was, he was also too early. We were, we were too early. Um, then, you know, came the Optimizely's and the uh, Google website optimizer. Um, yeah. Uh, Brian and John, who we still mm -hmm. work with, um, uh, wrote a book called Always Be Testing. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was actually a book where three quarters of the book was, was prepared from our internal manuals that we used to give to our to train our people. 
<laughs> okay, um, you know, not the portion that was specific to um, to Google's tool, but the kind yeah, of what to test. So it's it's still a good book. It's hard to find, um, and um, and and we have no interest in revising it. But there's some interesting ideas in there about how we would develop tests, um, and so that was. That was like 2007, 2008, by the way. So it took yeah. that long for that to be established. I mean, our book that um, that we were surprised when it hit the New York Times bestseller list was um, Call to Action. Mm-hmm. And because people were starting to talk about conversion rate, it had just become popular enough, we decided that if we didn't write the book, nobody would know who we were later on. And so yeah. we took this collection of articles we had written and we turned it into a book and we published the book and Seth Godin looked at this cover that we had. It was awful. It was awful. Book still had typos in it. It was a bad book. It was self-published. But it had the information people wanted and he said, look, this is a god-awful cover. It's a terrible, terrible cover. Don't judge the book this way. Um, go ahead and buy the book. You need to buy this book. Um, and it was part of what it took, but we, we, we sold tens of thousands of that book, like in the first two weeks. And, surprised us. Um, and so we quickly reprinted it, we fixed a lot of the typos. <laughs> you, you know, all sorts of issues, but that was 2005. Uh, optimizing so, it in while you were doing it, right? Um, oh, yeah. Not even, but yes. <laughs> um, but we, Fantastic. But it had the, the, the foundational articles, the stuff that we were talking about back then, which was persuasion architecture, okay? Mm-hmm. Which was the way that we thought about things of building it like an architect, right? Of, of architecting an experience. Um, but that's evolved, right? So Buyer Legends is the evolution of that concept. Um, and it's mainly the evolution of that concept because it was so hard to teach people persuasion architecture. Complicated and hard. Um, we were um, consulting to Google. We were working with their small to medium-sized business um, group that sold uh, um, Google AdWords. Yeah. Um, and we had done a presentation for them, um, and somebody really liked what we were doing, not because of anything other than the fact that we had printed it out. We had taken the, we had a, their research was about this much. Not quite, but yeah, almost, <laughs> almost a meter high. Okay. <laughs> um, and we had printed all this out. We brought it to the presentation. They had some senior people there. It's, you know, all sorts of people in the room. And we said, here, all this, all this is what we use to back up our conclusion. And then in the first 10 slides, we said the opposite of everything they had ever concluded. The opposite. Okay. And then we defended it with their data. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and, and just so you know, what we said wasn't so shocking. We just took the perspective of the customer. Right. This is yep. how we've always done things. Excuse me a second. It's allergy season here. No worries. Um, and um, 
So what they were, what they had assumed was a whole bunch of things that was a survivorship bias. Okay, they were thinking that because um, their customers till then had been a certain way, that that was their customer. And we said, no, 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 you're misunderstanding the market. Let us show you the data. Start to look at their data, the behavioral data, the the market data, the all these things. We said. Problem is that the early adopters, they've adopted it. You're successful. This is, you know, whatever it was, it was already 2012, 2013. The people who, who were going to adopt this adopted it. What, what happens is people like me, you know, like gray hair, okay, a little older, maybe who are yeah. in the business, we have businesses and we don't know what to do, okay? You know, you've gotten all these younger people and all these tech-forward people to look at it, but now you're asking people who would publish in magazines or in a, a telephone guide or in however else it was that they would advertise. You're asking them to use Google AdWords, and Google AdWords doesn't work like those other things, right? In fact, Google AdWords really depends on things like negative keywords, right? And you're always going to have to test before you figure out what you want to add budget to and whatnot. And we said, this is counterintuitive. You're, you, 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 you're talking the wrong thing. I said, and they start with you, but they don't finish. And I won't go into exactly what the data was. But get started, but they wouldn't continue. Okay? Yeah. We said, well, this is because they don't really understand what to do. They don't, they, they don't feel comfortable. They they start. They spend some money, and they want things to do. They had. They had in one of their um, the offices, um, one of the senior directors had a CD, okay, with somebody who had sent in a letter with the CD with the ad that he wanted to run, and it was it was to Google saying, "Please run my ads." Okay, on that CD were PDFs. Okay, <laughs> uh, and and. and we had taken a picture of that because we thought it was so interesting. We put that in the presentation. We said, these are your people. My dog is insisting on coming in the door. That's what you're hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Um, so, it's, it, you know. Anyway. Um, so, we, um, we we said to them, you, you're, not under, you're understanding this with a survivorship bias. You're understanding this as Google. And we want you to understand this as the buyer, as the actual customer. And they liked that. It was all great. But they wanted us to teach them how we thought the way we did. Okay? And we kept saying, well, we could teach people, but it takes about six months and this and this. And we gave them several proposals. And none of them were good. And they kept saying, oh, can you do something else? Can you do something else? And so... Brian started calling, and then I started calling... Some of the people who online were talking about what was impactful about what we did, okay? And, and, and remember, at this point, we're, we're around 2013, 2014. Um, it had been years since we've been doing this. Lots of the people who had been our customers were already vice presidents. Some were CEOs, right? We had, very, we had the senior people, and the senior people were no longer doing the things. They still made decisions, and they still budget was very good for us, but they weren't the people who were doing the work anymore, right? Yeah. And so we said, who are the people 
who are talking about us who are doing the work. That's how Brian framed the question. He says, you know, like, what are they learning? And so we found out we made calls and we made friends again with people who we kind of knew. And it was interesting. They were people who, like, we had met at a training at some big company. And now they were a different big company, but they were, you know, um, managers or directors or whatever, right? And Or they had been, um, you, you know, they, they, one of them, in fact, recently this has happened, right? One of them worked at like one of the darlings of last year's pandemic stocks, okay? Mm-hmm. But he was yeah. there the first days when we worked at Google, right? And this normally happens, but the people who do this, what did they fixate on? And we understood that they all had some variation of, you guys tell good stories. I'm going to have to open the door or he's going to break Yeah, it. Yeah, no worries, Jeffrey. <laughs> he's a very vicious labradoodle, so don't let him <laughs> in that he breaks it down. Um, so what we realized is that this was about storytelling, okay? um, that what everybody was doing was they were telling stories about the customers, right? And saying, how would you put yourself in the, the brains, in the heart of a customer. Yeah. And it was a little disappointing because the things that we thought were very clever, nobody remembered. Okay? <laughs> um, the, you know, persuasion architecture was complicated and we had different terminology for it and we had uh, a quite, it, it was complex. Okay? But what they remembered was a simple thing. And so we looked at that and we said, I think we can teach what they find valuable as buyer legends. And we came up with buyer legends, which is a concept that we could teach in a 90-minute class. We could teach the principles of it. Not perfect, right? But the principles of it. And after 90 minutes, we could spend another 90 minutes with them actually doing an example. Right? Which is a big deal from mm-hmm. you're saying to somebody, I can teach it to you in six months to I can we can do the first practical exercise. Yeah, yeah, in three hours. three hours, right? Yeah, so, so, so they accepted that. Um, in, in, in fact, um, if you ever see the book um, on the back mm-hmm. cover, it has a very nice endorsement from um, the guy at Google who, who sponsored this. Um, you, you know, and it was, a, it was wonderful because it really helped them to explain things to their, um, to their, both their engineering department, which was very valuable there, to their, um, um, graphics area, right? All these area, all these units were independent. And by being able to tell the story of a handful of clients, of, of, of the way we would build these personas, okay, um, as full characters with like a life of their own, everybody would understand what they were trying to accomplish. And so um, that's how BioLegends became BioLegends, right? That's, that's how we went from um, this overly complicated, I mean, like, we were so proud of ourselves for so many years. And in the end, <laughs> um, it became even simpler. And what's interesting is that 80% of our work today has very little to do with conversion. It's, it's, it became less of an issue. In fact, we spend probably 30, 40% of our time on retention. Mm-hmm. I, I actually want to call it 
activation slash retention. So there's right, lots of yeah. lots of SaaS companies that want to activate and then they need to get you hooked on something or yeah, um, right. So we're spending a lot of time there. Um, we spend a lot of time with the brand people. Okay, really mm-hmm. reconciling how how they use language and imagery to appeal to the to the to what people actually want. Yeah. Okay? So largely conversion, you know, conversion can be two things, right? It could be the removal of friction or the increase of motivation, right? The removal of friction, for the most part, is not as big of a problem. Okay? It's, you still mm-hmm. see examples where you go in and you can find a, a, an easy win, but generally it's a little bit harder to do these things, right? Uh, the the technology, the norms have have been acceptable. Also, we've trained customers, right? Even when things are look difficult, they kind of figure it out, right? Yeah. So the increase of motivation is where we spend more time, right? So even though we're known for conversion rate optimization, okay, what we really are focused on is the same thing we were focused on back in 1998 when we started working together, me and my brother, on why people do the things that they do. Mm-hmm. And then increasing that, uh, leveraging those uh, those things into user interface and copywriting yeah. and whatever. Absolutely. Like, 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 why, like, all I want to do is give you what you want. If you, if, if you need what I have, then I just need to increase your motivation enough for you to give me money. Yeah, yeah. How to frame what I'm selling so that you you are motivated enough to 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 buy it and how to to increase that. Yes. Jeffrey, looking at the the current landscape, we we've been we are coming after decades of acquisition marketing, where marketing managers were most of them were spending managers allocating. Uh, discretionary budgets into this campaign and t- into that campaign. However, nowadays the those days are gone. Uh, there is the the market is uh, the e-commerce market uh, is now uh, almost a bloodbath uh, thanks to cookies, thanks to iOS 14, and thanks to more competitors in the market. It's clear that uh, the customer centricity is not uh, a luxury item anymore it's uh, it's is becoming it a must have it it, it, it's becoming clear <laughs> yeah but i mean th- there are okay. the, the, f- the fact that we're making a living by selling a customer value optimization platform it's clear that uh, it it couldn't happen i mean i've been drying my mouth talking about customer lifetime value and customer experience and so on but uh, no- nowadays things are things are getting uh, into the right direction especially for for companies which are which are data driven and of course we are seeing uh, we are all seeing and assisting at what amazon did with their prime we we are seeing how uh, how much they've uh, leveraged the the relationship they've established with their audience into uh, amplifying and getting the the network effect and also getting uh, most from the same uh, customer database because at the end of the day you can't they can't go to to sell on mars unless uh, elon musk does something about it 
so basically, my, my question to you, Jeffrey, is how do you see the, the customer value optimization unfolding? Do you think this is going to turn into a, a, into a discipline in, in itself? I mean, optimizing for customer lifetime value instead of optimizing for the first purchase? No, no. I think I, so, so, so first, I think that you're optimistic because you're, you're doing the same thing that we were doing for years. You're listening <laughs> to people. No, no, no. I mean, you're, you're listening to the people who want to learn these things. Right. So first, I think that um, you're overly optimistic. Okay, um, I, I, I'm out there um, in the real world. We are um, we've invested in a, in a different startup in the home services industry. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, uh, you know we're uh, plumbing, electric, electricians, um, um, heating and air conditioning companies. These kind of companies. Um, and I can tell you that the idea that customer lifetime value is important um, is laughable. Um, just in, in, in that market, um, you, you know, they barely get the idea of conversion rate. Okay, so it's it's hard to think of the world if you're dealing with early adopters. Yes, are there better? Are there more early adopters? Are there more people? In the mm-hmm. uh, in, in customer lifetime value, yes. Um, but if you think about it, customer lifetime value has always like if if you go back and you read Rucker, right? He yeah. talks about the, the the whole purpose of a company is to create is to, yeah. is to create a customer and then customer. that customer. Um, yeah. This is there's nothing new, right? This is not revolutionary. This is how you yeah. build a business, um, and so. I'm less optimistic about it because of human nature, right? In other words, humans like easy and fast way better than hard and slow. Even if hard and slow is more profitable in the long term, they're short-term thinkers, right? Um, you, you know, we had been saying, we had a big argument in 2003, okay, 20 years ago, okay, yeah. about the idea that just buying more traffic was like using drugs, right? You kept needing more and more, <laughs> more and more. And people kept pumping. And the thing is, you could continue to profitably acquire clients, right? So what did it matter what they really cost or how hard it was to convert them, right? If you're using a stupid funnel metaphor, right? It, it just didn't matter. And so what happens is that was a very, like a drug addiction, right? People just became addicted to cheap traffic. So now we don't have cheap traffic. That's what you're actually saying. And so people know, oh, we have a client and we need to keep them. And what you're finding is that even great companies will have problems with this. And we're going to see this more and more. If we go into the recession that I'm pretty sure we're going into, what you'll see is which companies continue to invest in an experience and which companies start deprecating the experience. So, for, for example, you know, we, we wrote a book called Be Like Amazon, right? It's our latest yeah. book. It's the book that we're, we're very proud of that book. And we like a lot of the principles. But we have now watched Amazon destroy Whole Foods. Okay? Mm-hmm. They took a company that had long-term customer relationships and all this 
Now, are they building something different? Might it make more money in the long term because they're looking at it as a physical location in order to deliver groceries? Might it fit their plan? Yes, and we're not arguing with that. However, they've destroyed the, the value of a brand and the relationship had that they had to it. If you walk into a Whole Foods today, it's a sad place compared to what it was before Amazon bought it. Okay? So, and they did this because they're, they're, they're so focused on costs and personnel and all these different things that you've lost a feeling for what it is. Now, in their long-term grocery e-commerce business, maybe it works for them. Um, you know, the, the, um, it's left to be seen. But even great companies, when, when you see what they'll invest in when times are hard, and then you'll see. So if you tell me, let's say we have this conversation again three or four years from now, and we're back yeah. good times, okay? And you tell me that, oh, you know, you know this, I didn't expect this, but all these companies, instead of laying off people, okay, Instead of cutting costs, what they did is they made it even better for the customer. And, and, and look, now their retentions are amazing. Um, I, if you believe that, if you believe that that's what's going to happen, um, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. But I know human nature. Right? Yeah, we're fighting against it. Uh, so, from from what I from what I'm hearing, Jeffrey, what you say is that. Uh, uh, Business is business, and at the end of the day, over-investing in customer experience has a cost, which is if it's unbearable, the decision-makers of the companies are not going to invest unless they make a profit. So ah, it's, but, but, no, but you're saying unbearable. That, the question yeah. is, what's unbearable? Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Unbearable yeah. is, to, is it unbearable to make a less, lesser profit, or is it unbearable to make no profit? So I understand making no profit may be unbearable for a period of time, okay? But that's not how the decisions will be made, okay? Yeah. You, you know, what, what, what happens is, and we talk about it in, in Be Like Amazon, we talk about a, a soup metaphor, right? You know, you have delicious soup, you put a little bit of water in, you sell it, and it's still delicious soup. So you decide that you could put a little bit more water in. Eventually, <laughs> That delicious soup becomes a little less delicious, but it's still a good soup, right? And at some point, that becomes crappy soup, right? It becomes awful soup, okay? And the thing is that the, um, the commitment to actually um, uh, lifetime value of the customer may have to do with investing even when it's a little bit more difficult, right? Um, you, you know, it may mean um, that during the recession, you make a, a net profit of one, two, or three percent instead of your normal ten percent. Is that acceptable? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the Depending end, on the times, yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing, right? So what we've seen with Amazon was Amazon in the past had been had continued to invest in a customer experience, right? That was what we thought was so valuable. And in many ways, they still do. I don't want to totally dismiss that as an idea. But what happens when times are hard? Do people continue to invest in a customer experience? Because the long-term value of that business is not driven by 
what you do when it's easy to do, right? It's like yeah. any relationship, right? If you if uh, if you have a spouse or you have a child or you have a, a friend, right? You don't judge them by what they do on the best day. You know, everybody wants to buy you a, a beer on your birthday. Okay, do they want to do that on a day where you're miserable and you had a bad time and right? So this is when you actually know. If, if I had to say, um, I I I love to see that more people become intelligent about it. Right, that that in the next boom. Some companies make so much money because of that customer value that they've built, right? And it'll happen for some, but it will be the minority, it, like always. Yeah, my uh, my uh, my perception over over this matter is that uh, the the winning companies of the future will be the ones that will cherish and nurture the relationship with their customers. And that's because data data tells them tells them so. Now the question is, where do you find the balance? Exactly like you've said, Jeffrey. Where is the balance where you are not under investing and over investing in the relationship? Yeah, the, the problem is what you said is data tells you so, right? That's how you get into the soup, watering down the soup problem. Okay, um, is there a um, is there a return on investment? at smiling at your wife. Depends what 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 previous relationship we have you have with your wife. <laughs> okay. But but the deal is, right? Smiling at your wife in any one moment doesn't have a return on investment. Right? It, um, it, yeah, it, it's you can't think it, that way. Relationships yeah. okay aren't data driven. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a portion that you can measure, right? And you can measure it if you have a long enough time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I said is in the short term, the data is going to tell them that, oh, 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 I'm going to lose money. Yeah. If they look at it, if they're data driven with a 10 year horizon, okay, then that's one thing. If you're data driven with a month, quarter a year okay then you will do the wrong thing for the client and you will never actually build that flywheel where you continue building loyalty and you keep attracting more customers and network effect and so on yeah i i got what i got where you're coming from uh, uh, and i think we're actually on the same side of the <laughs> of this story because uh, what you're saying is that you can't measure everything and if you try to measure everything, you will end up not being uh, caring enough for your for your customers, yeah. and you end up being uh, uh, looking short term at the relationship with uh, with your customers. What I'm stating about customer lifetime value optimization is that at this moment there are so many crappy customer experiences that you don't have to over deliver on the the relationship. You just need to do the normal things like I don't know following up to see if the shoes are fitting. Uh, your uh, your customers. I mean, following up to see if you're if you've actually done your job as a retailer. You know, the, the, many companies are not even closing this loop, not even measuring customer experience and customer lifetime value. And I think that you can't improve what you don't measure. And yes, basically, but 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 again, this is a um, you know, I'm not talking about something perfect. 
okay? Because I, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to get people to think about perfect, right? But customers know when you actually care. If you look at what, what Jeff Bezos said years ago, right? He says, you know, I don't look at the short term. I look at only a few things, right? And this is what, he's, this is what drives, what drove the Amazon e-commerce business. Is there ever going to come a time where a customer is going to tell me that I want to, the product to arrive slower? <laughs> ever. Is there ever going to come a time where the customer says, you have too many choices, okay? And that's possible. We can talk about that. But, but his belief was no, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, is there ever going to come a time where they're going to say, please, please, I don't want a fair price. Charge me more money. Never, okay? And so all the measures were based around the inputs, right? The input mm -hmm. for a great customer experience was we are going to deliver faster. Not what does that give us today, but over the long term, when we can deliver faster, customers are happy. We're going to have good selection, okay? Um, we we want to have the leading brands, including our own brands, right? But we want to give people really good value. And the last part is they choose a good price, and they're not the lowest price. In fact, Amazon is hardly ever the lowest price anymore. But it's a fair price. Yeah. I never go on Amazon and feel, oh, I paid too much. And and I can tell you that if you look around my office, it's good that you can only see a high there's a few boxes, but there I get tons of Amazon boxes and envelopes and things every day. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and when I look at those things, I say, "Okay, this is um, it, 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 you know uh, this is absolutely worthwhile, right? Uh, I, I I like having it. I never felt like I paid too much, right? Or I got ripped off." Right, that, yeah. that's what people are scared of. But I may have paid a little bit more than I could have if I shopped somewhere else. But my time is worthwhile. I'm happy to get things like that. Right. So, you know, this is what it means is to understand what the value is and keep building the the value of your company based on what your customers want. Right. And yeah. sure, you have to weigh that against profitability, but. Are you are, are you here for one year or are you here for longer? Yeah, that that's a very important and impactful uh, question, Jeffrey. I wanna I, I wanna focus a bit on uh, the and and unpack the things that you've said that uh, around forty percent of the work that you do is uh, around the activation and retention of the customers. Tell us, uh, give us a give give to our uh, early adopters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a few clues about improving customer retention. So um, people make a mistake that thinking that because somebody bought from them, that they're now a customer. Okay. You, you have to think of it that way. You know, sometimes um, it, let's say I'm traveling and I'm on the road and I go into, uh, into a store and I buy, um, I don't know, a, a, a coffee. Okay. But I'm not even in my city, right? Yeah. So I bought from these people, but I'm not a customer. 
I'm, somebody who came in and it was convenient and I bought from them. And even if I liked it, even if I shared it on social media, all good things, okay? Um, I'm not how they build their profits, okay? How you build your, tra your, your profits is from the people who repeat, buy. They don't need to be acquired. They don't need um, coupons. They don't need, right? It's not a, a convenience or it's not cheaper. They like it, and it's good enough for them, right? It's, it's, it fits the purpose. So if you're a coffee shop and you go into that coffee shop, you go there because you like it, right? Because like in almost any city in the world, right, there's another coffee shop that you could go to, right? And so the idea is you want to be the, 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 the business that the customer thinks of first and wants to go through. That's a customer, okay? Otherwise, what you are is a transaction. Okay, so almost every business is built this way. Even if you go back to the early um, direct marketers, right? They used to have a, a, a concept that they used to work from, which they still work from, but um, um, called RFM analysis. Mm -hmm. Recency, frequency, monetary. What they would do is... Um, they would do this by hand. Eventually, they would do this on a spreadsheet. Um, yeah, we've built a technology around it, so basically, uh, it's easier right now. Right? And so, yeah. what they would do is they would say, okay, who bought from us most recently? Who bought from us the most frequency? Right? Who bought from us and spend the most money? Right? And for catalog companies, this was important. Okay? And so, Depending on the mix of your business, okay, um, there's different importance for this. So um, we, I, I tell you, we're, we're doing a lot of work with home services companies. And so um, what's interesting about them is they sell um, very large sales, right? They, they sell air conditioners, right? An air conditioner can cost fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand um, and so when they're looking to sell that, they need to get that from a customer who knows them over years, right? Um, if they're waiting for the very last moment to sell it, then that's too late. So the, you'll forgive me, I actually lost my train of thought, but the, yeah. the idea is that as, as, we're, as, as they're building, they have people who call up and they just need somebody to, you know, oh, it's, I have something not working or I hear a noise, right? You come and they fix the noise. And that's a customer. It's not a terribly profitable business, but you build up your business that way, right? And so yeah. for them, we tell them, you know, the most profitable customers are going to be the customers who call you the most and recently. And it's kind of, it's, it's the opposite of how they want to think because they want to think it's about money, how much money they spent. And I said, no, by the time that they've spent the most money, that's like the, the that's like getting married. That's like, oh, we love you, right? That's the consummation, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. The most valuable customer, the person who's calling you a lot has an air conditioning that maybe he's not working so well, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the person. Who you love, even though they look not quite as profitable, right? So it's it's an analysis of how often they come in, and so it's a mistake about who your client is, right? 
the client who buys from you once and then never bought again, you have to ask yourself why, right? Are you, do you sell based on price? Do you have the lowest price? And if you sell based on price, probably all of your clients are just there for one transaction, right? The idea is to build a relationship. And so we talk about the difference between a transactional customer and a relational customer, right? Are you building a relationship or are you building a transaction? It's very difficult to build a business based on transactions. Okay, you see it. You see it in every airport in the world has businesses that are based on transactions, right? Because you go to the airport and you buy that same coffee, okay? And if they wanted to charge you that, that price for coffee in any other part of the city, I don't know, you'd probably punch them. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. What am I, an idiot? Right? <laughs> so there's a transaction. You have to buy that coffee, and you're like, okay, okay. This you're time. stuck there. Right. That's it. You got me. Okay. And that's a model based on transaction. Okay. But if that was your, if, if you were in a business where you're building a relationship, you, would, you wouldn't go back. Right. And so, yes, there's a profitable business. There are many businesses that are based on transactions. Okay, um, we are not interested in those businesses. Like, we never work with businesses who have who try and have the lowest price. Okay, because you can't build relationships without having high margins, without being able to invest in an experience. Okay, and so here, here's the thing: if I have to give advice to people, okay, we're going to recession. Yes, there's inflation, so it's kind of easy to get through. But raise your prices. And improve your service. Take that money and build better service. Make more money. Okay? So our clients are shocked because nobody ever comes to us and says, I want to, you know, I was thinking of raising prices. Nobody ever comes that way. Either they already have a higher price, or when we tell them, you know, you need more margin, they're shocked that we're telling them that. We show them different ways of bundling or different ways of creating better offers or whatever it is, but we're always focused on margin. Fantastic. I'm also a fan of RFM. As I've told you, since 2017, we've been uh, building this uh, uh, software product to do automatically RFM. And uh, also we've discovered so many insights about uh, doing qualitative research and actually finding out what's the the best profiles of the customers which are buying despite all odds and despite all the hiccups that you've put in front of them they keep on coming and they keep on buying from from you as a company and, and, I, and I want to remind but i want to remind you there that, that, that that's excellent we have to be careful of some survivorship bias yeah. you always have to be careful when you're doing your qualitative research that your best customer may also is, is somebody you want to take care of but your best customer may have somebody very, very similar who doesn't do business with you because you don't see they're invisible to you what it is that they want. So, yeah, you know, it's why we build multiple personas. Okay, very often when you do this, right, you, you focus that way, you find that, um, and and let's let's assume that your market was uh, segmented into five personas. That's not a way that we think, but I'm making it, I'm I'm oversimplifying to make it easy, right? Yeah. The personas, the the, the segment that gives you, let's say, that's the largest market segment, 
right? Let's say that that segment might be 30%, okay? Mm -hmm. Might be the segment that you most attract. You just have to be concerned whether there's not another segment that has um, 20 and 20, two more segments that would be 40 that are completely turned off. Yep. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with a segment that's 30, but you have to be aware. You have to know that you're making that choice, right? Because sometimes it takes very little. You don't have to you don't have to turn away the first segment that was giving you 30. You just have to do something slightly different to correct the other segment. Right. And this is what how you can build your business way easier than trying to acquire new customers, right? Um, is taking some of those customers who are a little bit transactional, who do business with you but might not come back and finding something they love and building that relationship with them, right? It's the, you know, you do have a good price or you have a certain inventory that, um, uh, that other people don't or that's scarce, right? And they buy from you even though they wouldn't be your normal customer. Now, how do you build a relationship with them, right? And, and so we find that often that there are people who buy certain products that don't come back. And people say, oh, that's a bad customer. No, that's not necessarily a bad customer. They like you for one reason. Why do they not like you? What is it that you're, what, what is it yeah. that? What's broken in your. Retain them as a customer. That's right. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic uh uh, let's say endeavor to to find these uh, these patterns and to to discover what's what's happening in their minds and uh, uh, I think we we both agree on this thing that uh, customer research is one of the most neglected areas of uh, uh, in marketing and uh, basically that's that that's the root cause of uh, of this friction that companies have in into attracting better better customers and improving their their KPIs. Especially in e-commerce. Especially in e-commerce. If if I own an e-commerce company, okay, I would make sure that every single person who worked in marketing, especially in marketing, okay, would have to spend time on the phones and customer service. Would have to spend time um, shipping packages. I want to see that they're doing it. I'd probably take you know if, if people work two hundred days a year. I'd like to see almost 20 days. It's a lot of time, okay? Yeah. But I'd like to see them actually feeling and doing the things that affect customers, right? I want them to see how a package goes out and what it takes. I want them to hear a customer um, either be happy or complain. I want them to hear the language that they use. If you don't have um, contact with customers, you're kind of useless. When we go into companies, it's often the marketers who might hire us or the owners of the company might hire us. But we're not interest, so interested in talking to them. We want to go out we talk to customers and we talk to salespeople and we talk to customer service people um, because those people have customer contacts. They have things to tell us that will teach us about what the customer thinks. Marketers spend so much time thinking about what they think about that they lose touch with the client. And that's not an insult to marketers. Right. It's it's if you if marketers get bored by their campaigns, marketers get, you know, they, they forget that it's often the very simple things that that customers don't know. Um, you, you know, they're often telling things that are 
really esoteric, really difficult <laughs> to know. And you know, the customer is asking the simplest question in the simplest language, right? And so you have to spend more time with the customers. I mean, seriously, if I if I had um, you know like a magic wand, right? Expelliarmus. <laughs> okay. But if I had a magic wand, I would make sure that people were working with customers. Right? I think that's the most important thing. I'll uh, uh, I'll put this uh, this advice in our collection. We we have uh, all sorts of tips from uh, everyone which is joining the uh, the CVO live uh, event, and I think it's uh, one of the. It's actually the first time when I'm hearing it, even though we 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 had a few episodes now. But I totally agree with you. As a former e-commerce entrepreneur, we I used to 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 ship the products. I used to stay uh, in the calls with them. One time I realized that we were selling online car insurance and it was that mandatory, MTPL, right? And all our uh, phone operators had this nice smiling voice when they were saying that you need to renew it. But actually the emotional state of our customers were not that good because nobody freaking wants to renew the insurance again even because it's uh, they perceived it only as a cost. So I, I realized that and we had 18 people at, at the phone calls and we've decided to come up with a different script and to come up to empathize with them. Hello, Mr. Andrew. We do know that it's a bad news for you because the insurance is expiring. However, the good news is that we found the best uh, price for you and you will pay only that. Yeah, yeah no, and, and, but this is... I'm surprised. I mean, we, we I'm working right now with a customer who spends... Well over a hundred million dollars a year in marketing. Okay. And we we asked them the question. I mean, it's we just started working with them last month. Um, we asked a question of their marketing team about um, how do customers feel when they realize that they need the product? How do customers? And they said, well, this is what we know. This is the pre-purchase behavior. This is this. No, 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 no. How do they feel? And so we've been spending, you know, we, we said, okay, well, let's look at the behavior. Let's look at these things. How do you think they feel? And we've spent two weeks on this. And I, I encourage them to go out and talk to some some existing customers. How did they feel before they knew them? Yeah. Before, this, before that. We have made so much progress, okay? And, and, and this is this is why I'm saying this is we sent out an email based on one of these insights. Okay, we've been it's not a full month since we've been dealing right. So and we don't work on their emails. Okay, like that's yeah. not what we signed up to do. Um, but they send an email based on one of these observations. Okay, the email normally okay had a click through rate well under half. Well under half a percent. No, it, it got read. Is part of a, it? It's not quite a newsletter. Okay, mm-hmm. not quite a newsletter. Um, I wish I could give more detail. I can't. Yeah, um, no worries. But but um, the click through rate was almost twenty percent. <laughs> okay, That's now, forty times better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody read it. Not every. Not everybody opened it. Okay, but. 
that you have an increase like that. See, you don't need to do an A-B test when you see something like that, right? Um, and and we, we, we love to say this. When people think about A-B testing, right, what they're really saying is, is this, is this better than this? And, and you need a sample size. You need this. The, the, the bigger the impact, the smaller the sample size you need. Yeah. Right? And so if you actually do things that people care about, right, that'll matter. If the customer doesn't care, don't try and test something that nobody cares about. Okay? Does it make differences? Yes. Kind of. But look, we know that, that this is going that this concept is going to go into their marketing campaign. But everybody was really excited. I have a, I have this email that came on Monday morning. It's not a US customer, and so Monday mm -hmm. is a holiday here. Okay. But I looked at it on Monday morning and they were so excited. Okay. So excited about this. And we said, yeah, didn't you know? Like they're very, they're extremely data driven, almost fetishy <laughs> data driven. Okay. And we said, yeah, no, we, we knew, we knew, right? Like, because we knew because it was that impactful. It was, it was that obvious once you understood this feeling. Okay. Yeah. Very easy to speak to the field. Got it, Jeffrey. Uh, it's been an uh, it, it's been delightful to have this conversation with you. I think that we haven't uh, finished uh, <laughs> our conversation. Uh, actually, I wanna I wanna invite you to to a, to, a, to a future episode if you if you agree. Sure. Uh, it, Thanks a lot for, for being today with us. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. Uh, where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you if they, if um, they can? So, firelegends.com. Um, and uh, I, I, forgive me, I even know I know that there are um, links on that website that are dead. Um, we, we, I say this in, with, with, with a lot of gratitude and humility. Um, that we're like the cobbler's kids, right? Like the, the, the shoemaker's kids who goes enough shoes. Yeah. yeah. We no longer even update our websites because um, because it becomes too hard to keep up. I prefer to deal with customers. Customers um, who um, contact us. It's it's we don't work with everybody because we don't have an agency, right? We're we're mm -hmm. a very small group right now that work together. We enjoy working together, right? It's me, my brother, four other people. We we, we take on the clients we like. And we, we always want new clients, but it has to be the right client, right? So yeah. um, biolegends.com is the best place to reach us. Um, and I'm Jeffrey at Biolegends, so I'm very easy to find, um, even if you spell Jeffrey wrong. Um, <laughs> right? So... Yeah. Um, that's that's where you can find us, and you can find me, Jeffrey Eisenberg. I'm, I'm easy to find on Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Right, that's so hard to find. Perfection. Thanks again, Jeffrey, and thanks everyone for uh, watching today with uh, us. And we will uh, see each other in the next episode. All right. Be well. <laughs>